teaching, we are still continuing our series. I'm entitled Leveling Up, Rise Up to the Standards that the, that the Lord has established for us. He is our model. He is our template. He is the one who we have been saved to be conformed to his image and likeness. And so we're going through the seven uh, letters of the churches, that, the le seven last letters to the churches of Asia Minor that Jesus uh, sent through the Apostle Paul while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And so beginning in verse 12, we read, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These things saith he who, was, who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny the faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed. Among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things offered or sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent or else I will come quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. For he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and, a, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we bow in your presence during this hour of trouble. God, you said that you would not only shake the heavens, but God, that you would shake the very foundations upon which we place our confidences in, other than you. And you said, oh God, that people would turn and know that there is a true and living God. God, we have dealt with the pan. We are still yet in the throes of a, of a plague called COVID-19. We are soon approaching the death of 400,000 Americans. And the end is not in sight. And yet, oh God, you are still high and lifted up. You are still the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You are still sovereign. And so we are humbly bowing before you. And we're trusting, oh God, that as you are sovereignly and providentially working through the details in our own lives that we will yield and say yes to your will to reach a dying world for the for this for your son and our savior jesus christ amen a final notice is intended to be the last communication between you and a client regarding the amount past due or some agreed upon obligation that has not been met. The goal of the final notice is for swift action 
to avoid serious and sometimes permanent consequences. When you receive a final notice, that means previous warnings have been sent. A final notice confirms that you have run out of options for negotiation. Now, I know that nobody that's a part of the New Direction Bible fan, family has ever received a final notice. But some guy I know said that when it's a final notice, it usually comes in a different color envelope. Now, I'm not mentioning any names, but just in case you know somebody like I do, that green envelope, that pink envelope, that yellow envelope could be your final notice. Here's a funny thing about final notices. You can ignore or disagree with the final notice, but it will not prevent you from being evicted or having your stuff repossessed. Unless you comply with what is demanded immediately, a permanent judgment will occur. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, the Lord Jesus, through the apostle John, exiled on the island of Patmos, sends a final notice to the church at Pergamum. And the reason he sends the notice to the church at Pergamum as a final notice is because they were guilty of compromise. They were guilty of tolerating certain things in the church that the Lord called abominable. They had violated their spiritual lease as a church. They had turned their eye away from obvious things that were displeasing to the Lord. They had turned a deaf ear. And they, in fact, themselves were indulging in things that were clearly acts of disobedience to what God has provided in, our, in the Holy Scriptures that he has given to us. Listen to the warning that is given in verse 16 in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Pergamum. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The Lord said, final notice, I'm about to show up at Pergama with the sword of my word. I'm about to break out on the church. Divine judgment. The Lord was pronouncing that this is the last and final warning, Pergama, that you're going to receive before I execute divine consequences. When you and I tolerate personal sin in our lives and ignore false teaching, you are in a dangerous place. We are in a dangerous place. And I believe the reason why America is on a powder keg is not because of what is going on in Washington, D.C., in the White House. I believe that we are in a turbulent, explosive period of time in our history because of what is not happening in, in God's house. We have turned away from the word. 
The Lord is not pleased when we fail to deal with sin in the church and refuse to take a stand of what he considers vile. And the Lord may be saying to you as you're listening to me this morning, final notice, level up, final notice, last warning, green envelope, pink envelope, yellow envelope, I have been speaking to you by the Holy Spirit, red light, turn around, flashing, the arm of the uh, blockade is down, final notice, will you heed? To the warning. Now, there are some things that I want to say. There are four things that I'm going to say about Pergama as it relates to the church receiving its final notice. And the first thing is that Pergama was courted by the world, courted by the world, flirted with, wooed, seduced by the world. Listen to what verse 12 says To the angel of the church of Pergama, write. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, as we unpack this verse, let me remind you that the Bible clearly teaches that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is the least you can do. And he says, and be not conformed, don't be squeezed into the world's mold, but be ye transformed, metamorphosized, metamorphosized, completely changed into a new creation by the renewing of your mind, that you may do that which is pleasing and right in the sight of God. But the world system, under the power of the prince under the control of the prince of the power of the air, pursues us as Christians. The devil courts, flirts, and attempts to seduce us as Christians so that through our actions and thoughts, we will actually enter into union with him in the same way that a man enters into a union with a woman that he calls his wife. He knows that we're already espoused to to Jesus. We're already the bride of Christ. So Satan uses compromise, toleration, and dabbling in sin to have a spiritual affair with the bride of Christ. Are you involved in an affair with, with Satan? Are you responding to his flirtatious seductions to lead your thoughts during this turbulent time away from what God has already said. We know how this is going to end, and we are on the winning side, but I want you to know that Satan is pursuing you. Satan is, he he wants to engage you in an adulterous spiritual relationship with him so that you are, in fact, involved in cheating on the Lord. The name Pergamon means to marry. Now, obviously, you can't marry a city, but you can become joined in marriage to the world through false doctrine and disobedience. Listen to what the Apostle James says in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. He says, you adulterous people, 
You don't know, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, hatred against God? You pick the fight with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he, is, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell? The Lord said, I'm jealous that you're cheating on me. I'm jealous that you are caving in and giving in to the seductive flirtations of the world. You are not walking in the spirit, but you are being controlled by the flesh. The Lord is saying that the church at this time is not being faithful to him by being obedient to the word. There's a such thing as spiritual adultery. He's not saying that they were involved with actual affairs with women or men. He said when we make our allegiance with the world, we are in fact at the same time engaged in a spiritual affair where we're cheating on the Lord that the Bible calls idolatry, spiritual idolatry. The city Pergamum means to marry. The city like the world is appealing to our flesh. Pergamon was called the greatest city of Asia Minor. I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. When the devil is flirting with you to, to lead you away from your marriage or to lead you away from your uh, uh, thoughts that will allow you to have peace that passes all understanding, he doesn't offer us junk. The city of Pergamon was the finest of all the cities of, all, of, of the seven churches. In fact, it had a it had a, a medical a complex that was second to none, a library that had a, a more than 2,000 books. Pergamon had a university for higher learning. It was the place to go. It was, it was a badge of honor to say, I'm from Pergamon. This is my city. And so when the devil is trying to get you to take your eyes off of the Lord, to distract you so that now you are under his influence, he's not going to offer you junk. When Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, after he couldn't tempt Jesus with bread and, and jumping off of the top of the pinnacle of the temple, he said, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world if you simply bow down. I don't know what the devil is offering you. I don't know what you have allowed to enter into your relationship with the Lord that is now distracting you from the fact that he is still the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever that is, I'm, I guarantee you, Satan is going to give you whatever it will take for you to be lured away from the Lord, to enter into an adulterous spiritual relationship with him. He knows exactly the areas of our weakness. The Bible says that he has strategized. He has made a, a profile of each one of us, and he knows the things that we like and what we don't like, and he's not going to come to you with something that you don't like. The Bible says, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes because he appears as an angel of light. The devil will come at you like the city of Pergamum represents that which appeals to our flesh. Pergamon was the first city that built a temple dedicated to the worship of Caesar. It was the capital of idolatry in the ancient times, the place to go to, to, to worship any god that you could imagine was the city of Pergamon. That's why in Revelation 
when the Lord says to John the apostle that it is the, it's the place where Satan resides, it meant that it was the capital of idolatrous worship. And sometimes we don't understand idolatry is anything that we put above God. But the way God looks at idolatry, something, well, I don't believe in witchcraft. I don't get my palm read. I've never gone to a soothsayer. I don't play with a Ouija board. And I stay away from bad movies, etc. But if you place something other than God above him and you worship that thing because it's the priority that determines how you feel, you can, your wife can be your idol. Your, your job can be your idol. Whatever puts fear in you, whatever you, you get up in, and, and that's the first thought in your mind that determines how you think and how you act, that becomes your idol. And that is a form of demonic, that's de a form of demonic behavior. It doesn't have to be witchcraft. It doesn't have to be you working with uh, various uh, 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 potions and things of that nature. Idolatry, from God's perspective, is like the sin of witchcraft. You see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 24. He says, disobedience is like the sin of rebellion, of witchcraft. So this was the first place where a, a temple was built to dedicate to Caesar to worship him as God. And so God says, wherever the central place where idolatry is allowed as the primary form of religion and faith, that's where Satan resides. And that is where the church of Pergamum was at. Pergamum was also famous for a temple dedicated to Hippocrates. Hippocrates is the god of medicine and healing. The symbol representing Hi Hippocrates is a staff with the head of a serpent wrapped around it. To this day, doctors take the Hippocratic oath as they pledge allegiance to a staff with the head of a serpent. And isn't it interesting, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, the Bible calls the serpent none other than Satan. And it was the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 who tempted, who seduced, who lured Eve away from the word of God. And so in a part of this uh, worship of, of medicine and healing, there was a temple built to Hippocrates. And so as you prepared to receive your healing, what was included in that was the, the requirement to acknowledge that Hippocrates was God. And so there was a ritual practice of recognizing Hippocrates, the God with the head of a serpent on a staff, which in fact represented Satan. We need to be very careful about who we make pledges to, organizations that we join. We put more allegiance to, to fraternities and sororities than we do to the Lord. We need to do some research about what these organizations, and I'm not saying that they're satanic or bad, but whatever you are pledging allegiance to as a Christian, we need to be very careful that that oath that we're making does not violate the word of God because you are, in fact, aligning yourself, putting yourself in league with things that God considers satanic and abominable. Right now, what, the, what, what, the, what Satan is doing to distract the church from the Lord, as I've already said, like Pergamum used medicine in its popularity, in its, in its medical uh, 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 invention and, 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 and advancement, 
the world today, for us, what's dividing our attention is what the political turmoil. And we spend more time talking about politics than we do talking about Jesus. I wonder, when is the last time you, you, you asked someone if they knew Jesus? When is the last time you asked someone if they wanted to accept Christ? When is the last time you lifted your hand to put on someone's shoulder or to call them on the phone and just pray with them through what God has said in his word? I know we'll dialogue about politics, and I know we're concerned about what transpired two weeks ago, but the news, the good news is still the good news. Jesus yet saved. And no, we're not putting our head in the sand. We're not ignoring what could possibly happen. But I know who controls the future, and his name is Jesus. And what we need to do is to rescue people with the, with the word of God concerning salvation. What Jesus said, he said, when I leave, the purpose for me Keeping you here in the world is not for you to be politically astute, be politically astute. But your primary obligation is, he said, but you shall be my witnesses, my witnesses testifying of the world in the heat, in the fire of persecution that Jesus saved and that the answer to man's problem is, is, is not to give us more education and more finance. Yeah, I want another stimulus check. I'm sure you do too. But the problem is not it's not our skin. The problem is that we got a sin issue. So we don't want to be allured by Smyrna. We don't want to be turned away through our emotions. We're all caught up in our feelings. I wonder if you understand that the fruit of the Spirit is not the same thing as being controlled by your emotions. The Bible says at the heart, our emotions are deceitful above all things. Who can know our feelings? We don't even understand why we feel the way we do half the time. But yet we find ourselves being driven and directed and controlled by our feelings rather than what God has already said. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am learning that too many Christians, the Bible is nothing but a book of theory, nothing but something that we, we use when it works to make us continue to feel good about something that God has said is bad. The test of what you believe about the Bible is not what you do when you're in church on Sunday. It's what you do when you're in the fire. And so what we learn, first of all, Perga, Pergama courted believers. The devil is flirting, is trying to seduce us through all the stuff that's distracting us from our mission. But the second thing that I want to consider with you is the characteristics Christ used to identify himself, the character, characteristic that Christ uses to identify himself, to portray him as judge. He said, these are the words of him who has a sharp and double-edged sword, a two-edged sword. It's interesting that whenever the sword is used and it's re referenced as a double edge, it has, it has two, two aspects to it. The word cuts and it cures. It hurts and it heals. When the Lord says later in the, in the past, I'm coming with the sword, he's talking about the cutting part. <laughs> he's talking about the judgment part. He said, I am the one who has the authority behind the word to make what happened, what I've already declared will happen. He said, I am the one who has the two-edged sword. I can cut you or cure you. But the question is, which do you choose? 
the sword describes as sharp because it's supernatural, supernatural in its surgical preciseness. It's supernatural in its surgical preciseness. Pergamon had the best doctors, but none of them had supernatural suturing ability. God says, my word in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he said, the word of God is living, it's alive, and it's, it's supernaturally powerful, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. He says, my word pierces between the joints and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. Oh, my God, that's a sharp sword. He said, I can cut between the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow, and then what I do once I've done my surgery with my word, I reveal the very thoughts and intents of the heart. None of the doctors in Pergamon had that kind of sword, that kind of suture. The sword was sharp. The sword had two edge, edges. The Lord is not talking about pre-surgical surgery. You know how when you go before the doctor, the Lord says, well, when I perform the surgery, here's what, they'll show you a picture, here's what we're going to cut away, here's what we're trying to take out, and here's what, the, uh, here's what we hope the outcome will be. The Lord is not talking about pre-surgical outcomes or expectations. When he said, I have those, I'm the one with the two-edged sword, what he's saying is, I've already done the surgery. I, I, I've already found out what the problem was post-mortem post-surgery. And, and he said, I, what I'm about to do is tell you what I found after I took the sword of the spirit that is a double-edged, sharp sword. I'm going to tell you what the outcome of my finding is. Isn't it interesting that the church at Pergamon didn't ask the Lord to do no surgical procedure? He said, let me just tell you, and he's going to tell them in a little bit, what he found. It wasn't like David in Psalm 139, verses 23. The David prayed, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offense, offensive ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. David asked the Lord to perform spiritual surgery on his heart. The Pergamon church did not. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God, the ministry that he's performing every single day is not by permission. Jesus talked about, he said, it's to your benefit that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send the comforter, the parakletos, the one who will come alongside you, the attorney, your advocate. But not only will he be outside of you, this spirit that who, the spirit that I'm sending, not this spirit, but the Holy Spirit, I'm sending, he will reside in you and he will have a threefold ministry. He will will convict you of sin. He will show you how to get corrected about your sin, and then he will condemn you if you don't. And so one of the ministries that the Holy Spirit is constantly involved with, with the believer, is that there's some supernatural surgery going on. That's why you want to hear the word. When you hear the word, the word will cleanse you because you can be cleansed by the washing of the word. The word is like a hammer. It will smash stuff. It will break some yokes in your life. The word is food when you're nourished. David said, I tasted and I saw that the Lord is good. So the word of God is, is, is the Holy Spirit uses the word to convict us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He'll convict, he'll make you know that, that you may have said it, you may be thinking it, but it don't, it grieves me, it pains me. And then he will show you from the word how to correct what shouldn't be so that you don't continue down the path where now there's a spiritual decline. And if you don't, the Bible says, I will chasten those who are, he will condemn us, he will correct us. 
in those areas. And so the Bible clearly teaches here that the Lord says to the church of Pergamum, I've already performed the surgery. I've checked out your text messages. I know what you tweeted. I know every private conversation. I've checked out your Instagram pictures. I know what you wanted to send, but you didn't send, but you, you, if you could have got away with it, you would have sent it. I know all the secret places that you can hide stuff in your archives. I know every combination. I know every code. I know where you were last night. I know what you said about Sister So-and-So. I know it all. I've done the surgery with the sword of my word, and I'm about to tell you. I ain't asking you if you want to know. I'm about to, because that's the work of the Holy He's going to tell you that when we are not right with God, we ain't right. Question is, are you going to listen? If you don't, final notice. This may be your final notice. Well, I've been doing this for a long time. Nothing happened to me yet. Final notice. Well, when he changes our final notice. Well, if my wife would just say, oh, final notice. I know I'm supposed to tie, but I'll get around to it when I get final notice. You've been cheating God and justifying it. Oh, the pandemic. You were cheating God before the pandemic. God says, I am going to send the wind. And whatever you think you captured, whatever you think you own, I'm going to blow it away. I'm going to mess with your 401k. I'm going to mess with the stock market. I want you to understand that, that what will it profit you if you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul. You don't become all that I purposed you to be. What will it profit you? I know the secrets. I know how you really feel about her and him. I hear what you say, but guess what? I have used the sword of my word, and I have used supernatural surgical procedures. <laughs> and I'm about to tell you what I've seen. So we see the characteristics of Christ. So he's a double-edged sword, the word. We've seen that Pergamum courts believers by flirting with us so that we will, in fact, line up with what the name of the city means, to marry to marry Satan through adulterous cheating on God through disobedience. But notice the conclusion of the Lord's finding that is revealed. He says, I know where you live. I know your address. Where Satan has a throne, the capital of idolatrous worship. It's like living next to a house of, of neighbors who worship Satan. I know that your church is right next to where Satan is worship. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith, not even in the day of Antipas when he was martyred for my name, who was put to death in the city where Satan lived. Nevertheless, say nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam and taught Balak to entice, to seduce, to lure the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, there are those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. 
Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come. I'm going to deal with you. Final notice, and will fight against them with the sword of my word. I'm coming for judgment. The Lord, first of all, he gives his approval of what he evaluated after he performed the surgery with the word. He first says, you have remained faithful to my name in spite of Satan's stronghold over the city. You've remained faithful to my name. The church of Pergamon had no problem saying, if somebody asked you, what's your religion? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. We have, most of us have no problem saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. We ain't going to say we are Muslim or we are Jewish or we are uh, Hindu. We're going to say, I'm Christian. They had no problem. The Bible says, Jesus said, you did not renounce my name. You did not deny that you have a relationship with me. Praise the Lord. That's, that's, that, that, let's give him a hand clap for that. He said, you did not give in to the threat of physical harm, even when Antipas lost his life. The pressure on the church at Pergamum was not just to say that they were Christian, but there was pressure on them to commit to worshiping a, a, a Caesar as God. And they drew the line in the sand. They said, well, look, you can believe whatever you want to believe. We ain't going to bother you. We, as long as you don't bother us, we ain't, we're not going to worship idols. We will not worship Caesar. And the Lord said, that's good. And some of us say, I ain't ever going to no satanic worship service. I ain't ever going to do that. I don't believe in no astrology. I ain't doing that. I ain't going down to the, to the, to the uh, temple to, to worship uh, with a, an, an ema. I ain't doing that. You know, I'm going to sit and listen to all this different music that, that Hindus listen to. I ain't going to. Right. But as you guys do your thing, and we do our thing. That was the position of the Pergamon Church. You do your thing, we do ours, but we ain't going to do yours. And so I commend you for not giving in to agreeing to joining another religion, to to. to Listen, here, here's my assessment with what I, with, with what I disapprove of. He says, you, I have a few things against you. I got some problems with you. I've texted your text messages out. I've seen your Instagram. I see those pictures you sending, sexing, and I, I know what you're up to. Well, let, me, let me just show you. He said, some of you, you're allowing uh, the doctrine of Balaam. And, and that became a stumbling block to the church. And here, let me just share four things that they were guilty of. Four things. The doctrine of Balaam. And, and, and that included immorality, that also included uh, uh, allowing all, uh, 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 sacrilegious activities to occur within the church. And what we'll, we'll see, let me just run through the four things. They were guilty of tolerating false teaching and open sin in the church. And the first issue was the, the abuse of spiritual gifts by the prophet Balaam. When you get a chance, in Numbers chapter 22 through 25, Balaam was actually a prophet with the gift from God to foretell and foretell the future. And so Balak, a king, saw the nation of Israel moving towards the promise of God, and so Balak was afraid that Israel was going to destroy his country. And so he, he approached the prophet Balaam, and offered him money to curse the people of God. And what Balaam represents is the scripture, in the scripture is prophets for hire, preachers in it for money. And so Balaam was the kind of prophet, preacher, whoever had the, the most amount of money 
he would give them what they asked for, even if it meant cursing what God had already blessed. And so Balaam attempted to get paid, and he got paid to curse the people of God. And God said to Balaam, you can't curse what I've been blessed, what I've already blessed. And so Balaam goes back to Balak and says, I can't curse, nor can you, because the people of God are blessed. You can't curse the people of God. I don't care how much voodoo and, 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 and hair you cut and you, you put something in their Bible and you put oil in the corner. No one can curse you because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We have, Jesus said, I have, I, have, I, have, I have authority over the enemy. The enemy is a, has a gun but no bullets. That's that what the Lord is saying. Stay with me. And so you have preachers today. Jesus talks about them in John chapter 10, who are hirelings. They simply are in it for profit. And they will prophesy to tell you whatever you want to hear. Jeremiah 29 says, beware of false prophets. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, but they are actually wolves. If you're discerning enough, you can smell wolf smell all over them. And so one of the sins that they were guilty of is abusing spiritual authority, abusing spiritual gifts in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 talked about that, where people with gifts and charisma will manipulate you and do things to get money from you and say that God told me to tell you. And because you believe them, God told me to tell you that, we, that, we, that this president will not be out of office. And people who follow those spiritual leaders who said that they received a prophecy from God are profiting <laughs> as a result of saying what people want to believe and hear. Here's a second thing that they were guilty of. They were allowing sexual sin in the church without rebuking it. In the, name, in, in the name, God is love. God understands. Nobody's perfect. And so one of what Balaam did, when he was unable to curse the people of God, he counseled Balak the king. He said, no, we can't curse them, but we can seduce them. Encourage them to come to your parties. Encourage them to let our people, let your people join their, 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 their religious services. Allow them to date unsaved women and unsaved men. Let them become unequally old. And so the people of Israel never fully turned from God, but they begin to have sexual relationships with outside of marriage, fornicating, and then they ultimately married women who God says they were unequally yoked with. And so this sin entered into the church at Pergamum. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you, 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 the church, the leadership, the elders, he said, you're boasting, you're comfort with sexual sin. It's been told to me, he said, there's a man in the church who's having a, an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And you know about it, and you do nothing about it. He said, don't you understand that a little leaven, a little sin in the church that you know about but do nothing about will destroy the entire church? In, at the church of Pergamon, there was sexual sin in open, open before the leadership, and they did nothing about it. Jesus said, I have this against you. They were tolerant. They were compromising. They looked the other way. Oh, they come to church every Sunday. Eventually, they'll grow. They'll get over it. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture tells us that we must warn those 
who have been, uh, who've been taken, taken, overtaken by sin. That's scripture. Well, you know what it is. People don't get married. They just move in together. That's not the biblical model. Well, he was, he was really committed to one girl. Well, what is the biblical model? You committed one girl that you want to have sex with? Get married to them. The Bible says it's better to marry than to be controlled by lust. Don't be a man who is, uh, who, who is actually a playboy. You're just sleeping with one woman to the next woman and still professing to be sold out to Jesus. No, you're not. They allow sexual sin. If you are a man who knows that you don't have sexual control, you need to be planning to get married. You need to stop hurting women and then moving on to the next one and to the next one so that when the women that you've hurt finally meet a godly man, they're so broken, they're so fragmented that now they can't even trust a godly man. And so that godly man suffers from your sin because now the woman who is struggling with forgiveness and trust is punishing the man who is walking with the Lord. If you know that you aren't called to be celibate, plan to get married. And you don't plan to get married. Well, I'm going to stop having sex with whoever will get, have sex with me after I get No, what you're setting yourself up for is when you get married, your wife is not going to satisfy you. Well, once I get it out of my system, you never get sin out of your system. You can never satisfy sin. It's, in, it is, it's an insatiable appetite. Ask Solomon. <laughs> he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and still wasn't satisfied. I'm always amazed when I read the story of David who fell into the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. At the time he did that, he had 10 wives. How in the world would he need another woman when he already had 10? But the 10 was an example of a man that never mastered that part of his life. The time to master sexual desires is before you get married. Marriage is still an honorable thing. God said, he who finds a wife findeth a good thing. God is honored when a man will step up and not run from the challenge of making a commitment. And I had none of that in my notes, but praise the Lord anyway. Here's the third area. They allowed unbiblical practices to occur in the church. They permitted food offered to idols to be a part of their services. They did not want to offend anyone. I see pastors, and I've been asked when I was pastoring different places, the Masons and the Eastern Star and other uh, 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 religions that do not make an alliance to Christ. They believe in supreme being the old great master poobah, and they want to do their ceremony in the church, and the pastor signs off on that. Some pastors are actually practicing Masons and Eastern Star followers. What we have done, we have compromised, we have tolerated, we've invited Satan to the church. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. They come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. This ain't no popular message. Well, I'm telling you, this is a final notice to the church that we got to stop playing and inviting all kinds of nonsense in the church in the name of getting the pews filled, in the name of a bigger budget, in the name of a larger car, in the name of a, another new title, bishop, apostle, and whatever. They allow unbiblical practices to occur in the church. 
Isn't it amazing? First hundreds of the centuries of the church, and I don't know, bishops and, and apostles and all of these things, where did they come from? Why did that all, we, all of a sudden become popular? Let me, let me run on. I'm running, I'm running, that's a whole other sermon. Here's a, here's a final issue that the Lord said. Accepting arrogant leaders who exploited this, their spiritual authority by dominating the people of God. The word Nicolaitan literally means to, do, to lord over or to dominate or to rule over. And so there was a group in the church that used their titles as a justification for mis treating the people of God, and it was allowed. One of God, the first sin that God says he hates in Proverbs, he said, I hate pride. I hate arrogance. It's not a sign of, uh, 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 that God is pleased when the pastor is the most arrogant person in the room. It is, it is sinful, and when you get a chance, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. He says that God has called us to rule voluntarily based on his calling for the life of the shepherd. And he says, don't lord it, don't dominate, don't abuse your authority over my people. But they were allowing this in the church. I want you to understand that the enemy always has a strategy. He is not going to just show up and say, I'm going to wreck your day. I'm wrecking your marriage. I'm going to let you cheat on the Lord. He uses subtle devices to lead you away so that you are comfortable while at the same time you're drifting over the edge. Let me finish with this. The challenge to respond to the final notice. Let me give you four things that the Lord says. In verses 17, he says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come with the sword in my mouth. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give to the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. Here are four things that the Lord says that we need to do to respond properly to the final notice. Here's the first thing. Repent. If you're guilty of tolerating and dabbling in sin in your personal life, the Lord says you need to repent. Turn from it. Admit that this is an area that doesn't please God, and you've been involved in it, in your thoughts, in, in your conversations. It could be pornography. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be fear. Whatever it is that has distracted you from following the Lord, you need to repent. Here's the second thing. Reflect on how the Lord feels about the area in your life that you may, may have become comfortable with that he, he considers vile. Listen to this. He said, the word, he said, therefore, the word therefore means, tells us it's a word of summation, and it's there for us to go back to see what it's there for. And so when I'm considering the, how the Lord would evaluate my life through the sword of the spirit of the word, I need to ask myself, how would God feel about what I'm doing? How does what I'm thinking line up with what the Lord has said? How is what I'm about to say to the people who are talking to me? How does it line up? You need to reflect on how the Lord feels and has talked about what you are about to do. Here's the third thing. Retribution can be avoided. He said, I will soon come with the sword. What he's saying is this same word that I'm warning you with, I'm going to take it and use it to whip your butt spiritually. The same word will, that I'm using today as a warning will become your judge tomorrow. And finally, he says, reward. 
I will reward those who obey, who have ears to hear. He said, I'm going to give you manna from heaven. And that's a special, spiritual, supernatural bread. He said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to feed your soul on a level. If, if you turn away from compromise, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to feed your soul in such a way that you want no more. I'm going to sad, I'm going to give you contentment through my word. I'm going to give you manna. So the Lord said, I'm going to give you contentment. Anybody want contentment? I'm going to feed your hungry soul. And then he says, I'm going to give you a stone with a new name on it. A, sto- a, a, a stone, the way a stone was used in, in ancient times as we close. The judge would take the stone, a white stone, and he would write, of a person who had been charged of multiple crimes, he would write acquitted. And then he would put that stone inside of a vessel, and he would give it to the, the potential prisoner or the person that was in prison, and it will say, you are no longer guilty of any of the charges that you were previously charged, that were charged against you. You're free. You're guilt-free. Your, your, your crime, the punishment has been satisfied. And then the second thing that that stone was used for, it was used as a, it's like we use admission tickets. If you have the admission ticket with your name on it, you can go to the most exclusive events. And I'm going to give you a ticket to the most exclusive high-level blessings. I'm going to give you some J-Bass kind of blessings. I'm going I'm to give you a white stone. It's spiritual. You don't know me walking around with a white stone. The Lord gave me. No, no, no. He said, I, because you refuse to compromise in your thought life, in your practice, and accepting God, I'm going to give you a white stone. And when I'm opening up the windows of heaven and, 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 and asking people to line up, I'm going to put you at the front of the line. I'm going to give you the top shelf blessing. If you would simply understand that this is a final notice, I'm warning you that if you turn around, I will bless you. I will give you contentment, manna from heaven, name that says all of your sins. You have the absolute affirmation and confidence that every sin, past, present, and future, all forgiven. An entrance into the best things that the Lord has available, even on this side of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we bless you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've said today.